The Wicked Smart Sports Guys is brought to you by CellMaxBatteries.com, the go-to website for all your battery needs. CellMax Batteries carries a full line of super heavy-duty ultra-alkaline lithium and button cell batteries. CellMax Batteries compares in quality to well-known national brands, and the best part, CellMax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Flashlights, remote controls, gaming controls, headphones, digital cameras, hearing and smoke alarms, whatever device you need a battery for, SunMax has the best batteries at the best price for your device. You can order a 24-pack of AA or AAA heavy-duty batteries for only $5.99 or a 24-pack of ultra-alkaline, ideal for all types of gaming high-tech devices at just $12.99. Order today and use phone code BOSTON at checkout, that's BOSTON all uppercase, and save 20% off your entire order. That's coupon code BOSTON at checkout all uppercase and save big today. SemiXBatteries.com, C-E-L-L-M-A-X-Batteries.com, the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports, guys. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks, as always, to Dollar Dreams for the intro music. I did not have to do that ad read four times, as Max will tell you. We're back after a two-week hiatus from the podcast. Maybe the longest break I've taken... Uh, from the podcast since it started, but finally Celtic season's rolling around. I had to jump on, back on for Celtic season. That's what I was waiting for, and uh, not like I'm going to talk about the Patriots winning 33-3 to every week, so I'm talking with Max. Finally, Celtic season is back. Max Lassette, Guy Boston Sports, Celtics writer. Welcome back to the podcast, Max. Thanks for having me on, and guys, KJ definitely was not rusty. He got it. He got the ad read down the first time, clean as can be, no rust there at all, so... He's not lying to you there. You know, usually we don't tell you that, but I just I felt the need to tell you guys this time that I definitely did not mess it up four times, didn't have to restart. So before we get started here, Max, I actually haven't gotten a chance to talk about this yet, I, so I want to do it here. I actually got a chance to go down to Boston earlier this month and be part of the, the press team covering Danny Ainge's Q&A and, uh, with, with Shira Springer of the Boston Globe, and it, it was it was uh, wonderful. It was the first event I went to was a recognized member of the media, and it, it was great. It was a great interview. Shira did a great job. She asked him a lot, a lot of questions about last year and Kyrie Irving, which I, I didn't see coming. I was kind of pleasantly surprised. I figured doing a sit-down interview with Danny Ainge wouldn't be allowed to ask that kind of stuff, but she, she was allowed to, I guess, and, and there were, were good questions. I wanted to know the answers to. And uh, you can check out the videos of some of those on the Guy Boston Sports Twitter page. I, I put a lot of them up there. Uh, they're all in there. But uh, I, actually, I had a chance to talk to Shira for a little bit after the event, and uh, she was extremely nice and, and gave me some kind words of, of encouragement. So I really appreciated that. You know, trying to break into the, the sports media landscape is tricky. And that event certainly wasn't the finish line by any means. But it, it was an exciting accomplishment and milestone for me. And uh, I just want to thank everyone who supported me and listened to the podcast. Because I wouldn't have been able to do that without any of you. And uh, I hope to keep improving and, and reach more of those milestones soon. Yeah, it sounds like a uh, sounds like a good time all around, except for maybe the the Kyrie questions. I think I've had enough of those, and uh, like you said, I'm I'm excited to talk about this season. And before we got on here, we were running some numbers, and I think we're really talking ourselves into this team. Yeah, well, well, it was interesting to hear him talk about Kyrie at least, just because there was an element of I feel like a few questions he hadn't been asked about it, and he he did talk about like the commercial and everything like that, but. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's you know move on, Kyrie. Let's talk about this season. We, like you said, we, we spent the last hour completely talking ourselves into the Celtics season, and, and now we both think they're going to win the championship. So um, we'll get into a few of those. Uh, let's start with this. First, uh, let, let's start with Kemba. We'll get into those numbers in a second. So we want to talk about Kemba Walker, obviously their biggest addition, the, the guy who's replacing Kyrie. And I feel like a lot of the talk around Boston is kind of that 
that people feel like Kemba is going to replace Kyrie and he's going to bring a lot of the same issues. I feel like, you know, people kind of say, well, Kemba's going to want his own shots and he wants to be the star and everything like this. And I feel like people are ignoring the fact that Kemba did choose to come here and Kyrie didn't. And I know that people will look at that and say, well, Kyrie, he was he was happy to come here. He was celebrating. We got a trade to the Celtics. Kyrie's options, first of all, the Celtics weren't on his list initially, as everybody knows. And if you're Kyrie and it was either the Suns or the Celtics, of course you're going to celebrate the fact that you were traded to the Celtics, okay? But at the end of the day, Kyrie didn't want to be here. He didn't choose to be here. And Kemba did. And I think that kind of should amplify the fact that Kemba is probably more willing to fit into the Celtics culture than Kyrie was. Kyrie was coming from a situation where he was with LeBron James and he wanted his own team. He wanted his own show. Winning was not the priority. The priority was he wanted to be the guy. He wanted to take all the shots. He wanted to run the show. Kemba is a lot older, comes from a situation where he did run the show in Charlotte and it didn't go the way he wanted it to. And now he chose to come to Boston and he's done putting up stats. He's done putting being the guy. I'm not saying he that won't be important to him, but what I am saying is he's more willing to take a tiny step back not average 25, maybe average 22 or just above 20 and prioritize winning because that's what he hasn't done in his career. So I think when you look at the priorities of Kemba Walker and Kyrie Irving, that's what should encourage people. It should encourage people that Kemba Walker is probably more invested in winning than Kyrie was. And that's just the, the fact of the matter. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that, you know, Kyrie came from Cleveland. He'd already, he had already won. He had already been kind of that second fiddle guy, that uh, Robin to LeBron's Batman Whereas, you know, Kemba's been the Batman, he's been the guy, and he's seen how it works out of, you know, he's carrying all of the load and he doesn't have other guys that can step up, you know, alongside him and, and carry some load uh, next to him. You know, whereas Kyrie was going, you know, 6 of 22 or something like that in the playoffs and talking about uh, he should have shot 30 shots or something, Kemba has a different type of ego where, you know, last season he shot a career-high 20.3 field goal attempts a game. And he's probably going to be, you know, looking to kind of dial that back and not having to shoot as many times per game. I think it's just kind of a difference in personality and ego. And uh, like you said, just, you know, different situations that they've been in before. So let's get into that because you mentioned the stats we, we got into before the podcast and you talk about Kemba's shot attempts. And that's what we really want to talk about is the shot attempts. Because one of the things we were concerned about, Max, I think the main thing we were concerned about is getting Kemba, Jalen, Jason, and Gordon enough shots a, to keep them happy, B, to just make sure they're putting up the stats necessary for the team to win. Okay, so both of those things are very important. So we wanted to take a deeper look into how the shots are divided up. And the solution we kind of came to that was we looked at last year's Celtics and we took the top nine players, or top eight players rather, in field goal attempts. Okay, and that was real quickly, Marcus Smart, Terry, Gordon, Al, Jalen, Morris, Tatum, and Kyrie. Okay, and together... If you add up their field goal attempts per game, it was 89, all right, which also happens to be just under the Celtics field goal attempts per game as a team, which makes sense because you're usually going to have an eight-man rotation most, most games. So it all kind of adds up. So what we kind of wanted to do was take the Celtics top eight players and divide up those 89 field goal attempts between them, okay? Simple enough. Now, what we couldn't do was figure out who the seventh and eighth guys are going to be, all right? That was probably the most difficult part of this. You and me kept going back and forth about who's kind of going to be that 7th and 8th guy. And it was kind of hard to figure out. You know, we threw Carson Edwards out there, Rob Williams, Vincent Poirier, Daniel Tice, Semi Ogilvy. There's a number of guys it could be. It's hard to know right now. But what we do know 
really is that none of those guys are going to shoot a lot, okay? Maybe Carson Edwards if he's really good, but even then, I don't think... We, we came to the conclusion that no matter who we put in the 7 and 8 slots, the most field goal attempts per game they're going to add up to. Being very generous, I think we were, is 12 field goal attempts per game. Right, and whether it's, you know, Carson or or Wanamaker or Semi or Grant, you know, whoever those, you know, six, seven, eight type guys, or I guess it would be seventh and eighth guys are, you know, they're, they're not going to add up for that much, uh, that many field goal attempts. They're, they're probably going to be, like you said, around that 12 mark combined. And I think the fact that we can't even put a finger on who those guys are going to be speaks to kind of, you know, the, the fact that the Celtics are going to have less mouths to feed than last year. And I think that's for the better. Right, so those are kind of the Marcus and Terry slots that we were talking about. So there's really no one to fill those, and I actually think that's a good thing because they have enough players who need to shoot. So, And I think, honestly, like I said, we're being very generous with 12 field goal attempts per game. It could be less for those guys, but either way. Anes Cantor, we also put on the list at, at the six, at the number six mark. We gave him nine field goal attempts per game. That's what he averaged last season in Portland. Seems pretty reasonable for him. Marcus Smart, seven is what he had last season. Stick at that number seven. So that leaves us with 60, uh, 61 field goal attempts per game remaining for those four players we were talking about, Gordon, Jason, Jalen, and Kemba. 61, which is a lot. And I don't. I, and like I said, I don't think we're being unrealistic with these other numbers. Aness put up nine last year, Marcus put up seven, and I really can't see anyone replacing the shot attempts of what Marcus Morris and Terry Rozier shot last year. So it has to be Gordon, Jaylen, Jason, Jalen, and Kemba. And what we came up with is this. Kemba, Jason, and Gordon all get 16 shot attempts per game. Now, you may say that number is unrealistic for Kemba, but Kemba, before last season, Kemba shot attempts go like this. 15.7, 15.8, 16.4, 18.3, 17. And as we've already established, as I've already established, I think Kemba's going to be more willing to take a step back and want to win because he's already put up the stats. He's 29 years old. He's already put up all the stats in his career. I think he's ready to kind of subjugate himself more so than Kyrie was. And even if he's not, that doesn't change a lot. So let's say Kemba put up, puts up 18 shot attempts per game rather than 16. Then Jason and Gordon still go down to 15 point shot attempts per game, which is still higher than they both were last year. Okay, Gordon was 8 last year and Jason was 13. And like I said, we're basing these numbers off of the 89 field goal attempt per game total. So this is totally realistic for us to assume that all these guys can have 16 shot attempts per game, and then Jalen gets 13 shot attempts per game. All right, that all adds up to the perfect number, and I think we were both surprised that we were able to come to this number. And I think, as, as a lot of listeners out there probably are surprised that we're able to come up with a number that uh, as high for all of these guys as, as we are. But it looks like these guys are actually going to get their shots this year. Something that didn't happen last year. Yeah, and I think even uh, Gordon Hayward, we've we've penciled him in for about 16 attempts per game. And in his all-star season in Utah, his last season there, he had 15.8. So, I mean, you could probably even take, you know, one or two off of that if you had to and give those to Jalen, who's going to be in his contract year, or Jason or whoever. You know, the numbers are going to balance out a lot better than maybe we had expected before uh, really delving into it. And I'm looking at, you know, Gordon's numbers uh, the, the few seasons before his last one in Utah. His second to last season in Utah, he scored 19.7 a game on 15 shot attempts. The season before that, he scored 19.3 on 14.3 attempts. So, I mean, he doesn't even really need that 16, especially, you know, if he's not fully back to old Gordon, if he's maybe 90% of that. I, I think we could even pencil him in for like 14 shots a game. And so, you know, there's going to be shots to go around that maybe we didn't expect, uh, 
you know, before really diving into the numbers. Yeah, the, the Celtics really need to craft the offense around these guys to me. It can't be an equals opportunity offense. You know, and I think last year, the whole theme of this is that last year there were too many mouths to feed. And now I think as we're discovering, that's not the case anymore. I mean, we just broke down the numbers. It's just not. They, they don't have too many mouths to feed anymore. You might even say they have the perfect amount of mouths to feed. They have just enough food for everybody. So I, I'm really pleasantly surprised by that. But the main thing is that this can't be an equal opportunity offense. It needs to be crafted around the stars. And I want to go back to the 16-17 season because that season, the Celtics had four players over 32 minutes per game and five players over 30 minutes per game. And I was really surprised about that because I think this perception has grown that Brad Stevens doesn't really play players that many minutes. And th that was the case last season, clearly, because like I just said, four players over 32 minutes per game that season, five over 30. These are the minutes per game last season for the Celtics. 33 for Kyrie, 31 for Jason, 29 for Al, 28 for Marcus Morris, 27.5 for Marcus Smart, and then only 26 for Jalen and 26 for Hayward. Okay, so obviously Jalen and Hayward came off the bench last season. I expect those guys to move back into the starting lineup. But let's talk about Gordon right now because we've already talked about this, you and me, before the podcast. Gordon is going to start because we, we've discussed it. He's probably going to start at the four. That's where he did play a lot of his minutes last season. I think he played more minutes at the four than he even played at the three last season. We kind of discussed this. If Gordon doesn't start at the four, who does? Well, I guess the thought would be, you know, I, I think that kind of all of us would expect that maybe Tatum, as he gets older and stronger, uh, kind of, you know, grows into the, uh, having the ability to play at the four more often. But something else that kind of stood out to me uh, over the World Cup was the fact that Jalen Brown was playing a lot of four for Coach Popovich and Team USA. And I mean, I don't know if Brad Stevens, you know, would necessarily throw him into that role. And obviously FIBA play is a lot different than NBA play. But it did stand out to me that uh, Jalen was, you know, getting some minutes there. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you know, he's going to be playing a lot of two and three. And so he might not have the opportunity really to play much at the four. But that could be an option. Um, some other guys, you know, whose names out there would be Grant, maybe not to start the season playing too often because I know Brad Stevens doesn't really like to play rookies uh, right off the bat all that much. But, you know, Grant should hopefully be able to hold his own there at the four. And then I think we're going to see more semi this season than we did last season. Okay, but even outside of that, the Celtics really, if we look at it, only have six starting caliber players. All right, and, and I'm, I'm ex I want to exclude center for a second because I include center in that equation, but you're not playing Aness and Rob together or Vincent Poirier, who I know Evan's high on, but they're going to have a big there, all right, that, that, that's going to start. And then it's about the four other positions, all right? And they only have five guys for those spots, in my mind, that you could actually real realistically say they will start. It's Marcus, Jalen, Kemba, Jason, and Gordon, all right? Kemba's a lock, obviously, so let's take that out. Marcus, Jalen, Jason, and Gordon. The only lineup in which Gordon doesn't start is Marcus, Jalen, and Jason at the 2-3-4, which is possible, but I just... I. Still can't really see it. I think they're going to really push to get Gordon back in the fold as well on top of that anyway this season. So, I, I mean, I think Gordon definitely starts at the four. I mean, all of this goes really back to the whole point of last season, which was they have too many mouths to feed, and now they don't. They don't have as many, and they can, they can you know, they don't have as many options, and so it kind of leaves them with, yes, Gordon's going to be starting at that four spot. Um, but let's talk about Jalen and Marcus, because that's kind of the debate that goes around. It's a debate that happened all last season who would you rather see starting the two between those two guys? Would you rather see Jalen or Marcus? I'd rather see Jalen, honestly. I mean, I kind of want to see them go back to 
almost a poor man's Shamrock Five from last year, you know, having Jalen, Jason, and Gordon all out there together, and then obviously replacing uh, Kyrie and Horford with uh, Kemba and and Cantor. So kind of a, a poor man's version of that, you know, starting five that we got all the pictures of and, you know, threw on t-shirts and everything. And we all thought it was going to be so great. And obviously after the 10 and 10 start, they switched everything up. And I, I kind of want to see them go back to that and play Jalen, Jason and Gordon all out there together at once again and see if it can work this season with, you know, Gordon being back to uh, his normal self, Jalen not starting the season with any type of hand injury or anything like that. And, uh, you know, just having that time to, to play together last year and uh, over the summer and everything and try that lineup out again, you know, with, with those three out there together. Yeah, I think your best rotation is probably, yeah, Kemba, Jalen, Jason and Gordon all out there together. And I think the way that should work is you have you start all those guys. But what you really look to do is play Gordon as like with the second units kind of as a backup point guard role, not even with the second units, but. Gordon is kind of your backup point guard. He serves as your backup point guard. And what happens is you play Gordon and Marcus together. Marcus guards the ones, Jalen guards the two, Gordon guards the threes, but Gordon runs the offense when Kemba's off the floor. And he serves as your backup point guard as opposed to someone like Carson Edwards or Brad Wanamaker. And I think that really should be how it works. I mean, I know people are excited about Carson Edwards and being, you know, the second round pick who really showed out in the summer league. I'm not ready to trust him with that backup point guard role. And even so, if it, if my options are have Carson Edwards out there running the offense or have Gordon Hayward, I think it's Gordon Hayward and it's not even close. And I think that that can help you, you know, progress Gordon back to his all-star level. And like we said, just make sure everybody's getting the shots they need here. So I think what you're going to see a lot of is Gordon and Kemba running the offense. I think those are the two guys you go to. Maybe Marcus Smart at times too. And then Jalen and Jason playing that off-ball wing scorer role. And I think that's really going to work out well for them. I think that uh, in, in terms of Marcus Smart, one important thing to think about is that it doesn't really matter as much who starts games as who closes them. And I think we're going to see Smart out there at the end of games, of course, and that maybe if Gordon or Jalen or Jason, probably not Jason, but between uh, Gordon and Jalen, if one of them's having a bad game or one of them's really hot, you'll see, you know, whoever has the hot hand, whoever's been having a good night, stay out there and maybe Marcus comes in for the other one. Yeah, uh, and we should say, Another reason why we're so excited about the season and a stat that we haven't even brought up yet, which was one of our favorites, was the lineup combination of Gordon, Jalen, and Jason, which we should have brought up immediately when we talked about the lineup. Because out of lineups last season for the Celtics that played 45 games, at least 45 games and at least 100 minutes, and there were 53 of these, or 52 of these lineups, sorry, which is a lot, a big number. Gordon, Jalen, and Jason had the best defensive rating out of all of those lineups. And they had a net rating of 7.1, which would rank second in the NBA over the course of a season. So that should encourage you. that, And that's with, you know, including a Gordon Hayward that wasn't 100% all season and was shaky at times. So the fact that those three guys were so good defensively together should really encourage people. How they manage that center position to me is important because if you have an S. Cantor out there with them, is that going to create some problems defensively? And that's what I want to get to next because... I actually think that they should start Rob Williams. And I want to get into that because I actually heard the Low Post podcast that Kevin Arnovitz and Zach Lowe were going over their most interesting teams and they began to talk about the Celtics and they were talking about the center position and Zach Lowe said, I wouldn't be surprised if Rob Williams started or they at least got the chance to start. And I was so pleased to hear that because I've been so high on Robert Williams. I've been pushing him pretty much all summer to be the starting center 
because I feel like there are so many reasons it would work. First of all, we talk about the other guys needing shots more so than an S. Cantor. I, I, we said an S. Cantor by name, but just the priority of getting other guys' shots. Rob Williams will require much less shots than an S. Cantor and be effective despite that because Rob Williams' skills are defense and rebounding and running the floor being a lob threat. So I think having those skills on the floor alone are, is going to be really good. I mean, I've mentioned so many times that he averaged five blocks per game uh, per 36 minutes as a rookie and led the Celtics in blocks per game with like 1.8, even only or maybe it was 1.3, something like that. He was tied with Al Horford in only 8.8 minutes per game. All right, so he is a tremendous rim protector. He does get a little out of position. He does gamble for blocks a lot of the time, and it doesn't work out. But look, this guy was a lottery-worthy talent, and he fell to the Celtics in the late first round. But he shouldn't be treated like a late first-round pick. He should be treated like the commodity he was regarded as before the draft. And this is a guy that can start at center, projected as a starting center, and I think should get the chance to start at center this year. So I would actually pick him over a Ness, and I think that just helps what I was just talking about of that defense being as stellar as it was with Gordon, Jalen, and Jason on the floor together. You throw Rob Williams in the mix, and I think that you know negates any potential problems you might have with having Kemba out there. Yeah, you know, I'm so torn about the starting center position, whether it's going to be Canner or Williams. And, you know, at the beginning of the summer before Kemba signed, I was all on board with Time Lord, Rob Williams, throw him in there see what he has. And I, I've always said that, you know, I, I've tweeted it a, a million times. I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before that I think that Robert Williams could easily be getting as much hype as Mitchell Robinson has been getting in New York if he had the same opportunity. I think, you know, he's he's just as much of a shot blocker, uh, rim runner. I, I think he can really be effective. But I, I'm a little concerned about, you know, throwing him out there for a team that still has hopes of contending you know, b- before the Kemba signing, I was all in on it. And now with the direction the team's going with Kemba, I, I am a little nervous about having him out there, at least to start the season. Um, I don't really want to go the route of throwing him back in the G League and having him, you know, in Maine coming back and forth between the Red Claws and the Celtics. You know, I, I don't want him to have to go through that uh, for another year because I don't really think he's, you know, uh, that lowly caliber caliber of a player that, you know, he should be going back and forth and, uh, you know, not on the roster full time. I do think he should be playing, you know, at least 10 or 15 minutes a night. But uh, in terms of starting, I'm I'm really torn on that uh, on that decision. Well, look, the good things that Ines Cantor gives you are things to me that you either don't need or that Rob Williams can also give you. So rebounding, Ines Cantor is probably a little better rebounder than Rob Williams is right now. And offense in Escanter is way better offensively, but you don't need that offense in my mind. You have offense in these other players, and that's why I pick Rob Williams over Ness, is that I think he fits better with the group out there, and I don't think the drop-off you're going to see... I think there will be a drop-off, because Ness is better than Rob Williams is right now, but I think the potential is worth it to put Rob Williams out there and let him grow with that unit. I think that you want him long-term to be your starting center, and I think the drop-off isn't significant enough that it should really matter. I, I don't think... it. You might lose one or two wins a year, maybe, if you put Rob out there over a Ness. But I think in the long run, it'd be worth it. And I'm not even willing to commit to that loss in wins because I think Rob Williams could be really good. And I don't really see 
what you're losing by putting him out there. It's not like you're feeding him shots. It's not like he can mess up that much. The only thing to me that he can mess up is maybe on one or two possessions a game, being out of position, chasing a block, and you know giving up a dump-off pass to a center for a dunk, maybe once or twice a game. But I think he'll get used to being coached out of that. I think a lot of that eagerness to get blocks is just being a young player and wanting to prove yourself and wanting to get more minutes. If you give him those minutes, that might be taken out of his game because maybe he won't feel as desperate to put up those stats and you know show out like he to, to prove himself to coaches and stuff like that he, he won't have that uh, in him anymore and I think that that's what I'm really hoping for with Rob Williams I really like him and I think outside of just the young development side of it he can be really good and he fits better with the unit and that's why I want him out there yeah it makes a lot of sense and I, I do agree with you you know that they have enough offense between the the four main guys Kemba Brown Tatum and Hayward to kind of make up for his offensive deficiencies and I think we have Cantor penciled in for about nine field goal attempts per game. And, you know, just on dunks alone, he's, Williams would probably have about four of those and then a couple putbacks. You know, I, I think it's not like he's going to be expected to carry that much of an offensive load. And, you know, if he does shoot less than nine field goal attempts per game, then sure, that means more attempts for the other guys. So I, I can definitely see where you're going with that. And I do really want to see what we have in him. You know, I, I really did agree with you on on the fact that he's a – a special talent relative to where he was drafted. I, I think, you know, he slipped in that draft and we were lucky to get him and I was excited to get him. And uh, I do want to see what we have in him because I've kind of been waiting to see it for a long time. Right. And I think when he was out there for the little bit we saw, at least offensively speaking, it was nice to have that lob threat because there isn't a center that you have or have had in a while that's as athletic as him. We saw Daniel Tice be a lob threat at times. But it's not quite to the level Rob Williams was. And he did have a nice rapport with a few of the Celtics last season. He didn't have a great summer league. I'll say that. He did not have a great summer league. I don't think he played well. I think he's a lot better than what he showed in summer league. But uh, I, I really want to see him at starting center. And I, I think the defense should be prioritized for that position specifically, not the offense. And I think Rob Williams gives you that right off the bat. So that's why I go with him. I also want to talk about the fact that people look at this team, I think, and say, it's going to be worse than last year. They look at that because they lost Kyrie, they lost Al, and they immediately say their wins projecting is going to go down from last year. I just don't think that's fair because last season's team did massively, massively underachieve. I don't think it's that simple, and I think this team can be a lot better than people expect because of what we just said, how many players they have that are really good. I mean, just in terms of people that could make the All-Star team, that could, that have a chance, a significant chance, they have four players. Gordon Hayward has been an all-star in the past, and if he's back from his injury, he should return to all-star form, especially with the shot attempts we project to be available for him. Kemba Walker, and then two young guys in Jason and Jalen, which is also getting underplayed to me because those guys, people forget, young players get better, and those guys are still very young. So they their development could help the Celtics improve even more so than people are projecting. I think people are expecting those guys to come back and be the same players. Typically, that doesn't happen with young players. Typically, young players get better, they improve, especially young players with the type of talent and potential that Jalen and Jason have. And people are just completely disregarding those things. And I think they shouldn't be. The Celtics team could win 55, maybe close to 60 games. I think they're that talented, to be quite honest with you. I'm not underplaying the loss of Al Horford. I, I absolutely think Al Horford was a huge loss. But I also think he kind of regressed last season. You look at his three-point percentage. I think it went down like three or four points last season from where it was in 2017-18. So I think he was regressing a little bit. I still think he's a big loss. But I also think that they still have so much talent on that roster that 55-60 wins shouldn't be ruled out. Yeah, I agree with you. And in, in, in terms of the loss of Al Horford, I think the two biggest points that people kind of talk about are 
uh, on the downside, you know, you're losing his defense because he was incredible while he was here on the defensive end. And um, then on the plus side, you're gaining rebounding with Cantor, Poirier, Tice, and Williams, you know, that big man rotation. And, you know, in, in terms of the defense, you know, the loss of defense, I, I think that I've seen a lot of people talk about it over the summer. You know, back in the days with Sullinger and IT uh, in the starting five, I think that the Celtics had, what, the fifth or sixth uh, rated defense in the league. So, I mean, people have confidence in Brad Stevens' abilities to kind of uh, come up with a strategy to uh, make up for that loss. And then, like you also, you also uh, touched on the three-man lineup of Hayward, Brown, and Tatum. And, you know, if those are the three guys that are in between, you know, Cantor and Kemba on the defensive end, you know, they played great on the defensive end last season. And I would expect that, you know, the three of them on the perimeter can kind of make up for a lot of the deficiencies that Cantor and Kemba will have. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Just to phrase it like this, if I could, Al Horford is a huge loss defensively. But is he really going to affect their overall team defense? And I think that you could make the argument that it won't. Because, like we just said, their best three-man defensive lineup with at least 45 games played and uh, and at least 100 minutes was Jalen, Jason, and Gordon. And Al Horford on this list, he wasn't in any of their top five. three, uh, Even top six, top seven, I keep going down. There he is in the eighth lineup with Jalen and Jason who are still both on the team. So, uh, you know, Al Horford, great defender, great individual defender, one of the only players on your team that can guard Giannis. But at the same time, he does have deficiencies there that people kind of ignore because he is such a a great positional and team defender. The fact that he isn't a great shot blocker and, you know, he is aging. Maybe he's not as quick on his feet as he used to be. He's He's not getting a ton of deflections or steals or anything like that. So those things do matter. I know people like to look at the advanced stats and say they don't. They do. They matter a little bit at least. And uh, so I, I think they're, you're right. There is an element to the fact that Brad Stevens always has good defenses. They still have good defensive players. They should still have good defensive lineups. And Al Horford's loss can be mitigated by that. Just the fact that defensively they'll still be really good so they won't miss that. What they will miss is his shooting. Because right now, looking at it, they don't have a big who is a proven good shooter. Tice has shown an ability to hit the three at times, but how much is he going to play? Anes Cantor is supposedly developing a three. Um, you know, We'll believe that when we see it. You can't just bank on him being able to shoot threes at a high rate yet. And even so, I don't think any of those guys are going to be as good of a shooter as Al was in 17-18. As what he was in, six, in uh, last season in 18-19, I mean, that, that'd even be hard to get to, but I would be more uh, accepting of maybe them getting to that. But it's just hard for me to look at Al Horford, what he's done and how much he's respected around the league and say he's not a big loss. Yeah, I will say, you know, back to the rebounding aspect of things, I, for one, am just incredibly excited to have better team rebounding than usual because I think outside of Terry Rozier and Marcus Morris's early shot clock shots and then the team's, you know, late game free throw deficiencies at times, I think that just the, the rebounding is like one of the things that drove me the most crazy over the past few years is, you know, having teams get a ridiculous amount of offensive boards against us and stuff. And uh, I'm really excited to see, you know, just the teams rebounding in general get better, not have as many second chances for these other teams. And it's been a long last couple of years, you know, getting out rebounded every night. All right. Well, we talked about Al there. We kind of went on a tangent about Al, but we kind of got sidetracked because I just said 55, 60 wins earlier. What do you think? I mean, is that a fair projection? Do you think that they could get that high in wins? I think 50 to 55 is almost what I'm expecting. You know, I, I definitely think that they can hit the 50 win mark 
unlike last year. I think for sure they're going to finish higher than last year. So 50 to 55 is kind of where I have them penciled in. If they did push it to 60, I would be a little surprised if they got up, you know, into the high 50s there. But then again, I mean, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibilities by any means. I, I really don't think it is. And one of the main reasons I don't is because I just think you're getting back to that a little bit more of that 16-17 Celtics. And I already mentioned them here. But that team won, I think, 53 games, right? And you just go one by one down. And I know we did this last year, but I think things are different. I think, why not do it again? Because if you be- if you truly believe that the kind of cancerous players in the locker room, the people who are causing problems are gone, Marcus, Terry, and Kyrie, if you truly believe that, then why is it unfair to do the same things we were doing last season? Why is that unfair? Because if you look at that lineup compared to the 16-17 lineup, it's Kemba for Isaiah. That season, Isaiah was really good. You might say Kemba's a little worse. Jalen for Avery. Jalen's probably better. Jason for Jay. Jason is absolutely better. Gordon Hayward for Amir Johnson. That should be a huge upgrade, especially if Gordon is fully healthy. I think this team can be really good. I think they can be the best team in the East uh, still. And I think people, at the very least, that, that might be a little bit of an over-exaggeration. But I think people are underestimating this team because of what happened last season. And I think... To some extent, that's fair, but it's also a little unfair to a lot of these guys because a lot of these guys weren't responsible for what went wrong last season. And at the very least, if they were, I think they're committed to making things better. Yeah, and I think in terms of, you know, the idea of them finishing atop the East, um, I don't know if I would predict them to be the one seed, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. Again, just looking at uh, Milwaukee losing Brogdon, you look at Philly, they have a lack of shooting. They're going to take some time to mesh. Obviously, the Celtics will too, but Philly's got a lot of moving parts there, and I think that their depth is just atrocious. And so, you know, every team around them really has flaws. Toronto isn't going to be the same as last year, obviously, without Kawhi. Uh, The Pacers don't have Oladipo for the first couple months, I believe, until maybe December or January. And the Nets, obviously, they don't have KD. They've got Kyrie with a bunch of young guys. We saw how that played out. And so I think that the East, honestly, is a lot more up for grabs than people are talking about. You know, I, I, and I don't want to sound like some, you know, crazy Celtics homer or anything here. I think I'm looking at this very realistically. I think they have a lot of talent and things went wrong last year. And when do the Celtics play their best? When they're underdogs. And now everybody's underrating them. And what do we, classic from the Celtics, when they are underdogs, they come back and they really surprise everybody and they overachieve. Okay, so I think we can get back to that. And I think a lot of people, I mean, I've heard people say that the Orlando Magic might be better than them and the Pacers and all this stuff. And... I just think the Celtics are going to go back into that mode that they've gone into under Brad Stevens, where they just got turned overachievers and prove everybody wrong. And uh, I, th- I think people are kind of just underrating them. And regardless of if you think they can get to 55, 60 wins, which I'm not projecting, I just think it's in the realm of possibility, strongly so, because of all the talent they have. Um, I just think that people should absolutely pencil them in or pen them in as a top three team in the East. I think that's unquestionable. And the fact that people are kind of writing them off of that, I think is kind of just ridiculous. I, I I can't see why people don't look at this and say, the cancerous players are gone. They have less mouths to feed. Those were the two biggest problems last season. And that, that, that should help fix some things. Yeah, I saw the question on Twitter today being asked if they were uh, a lock or not for the top three in the East. And it was kind of ridiculous to me. I think the question for me is, whether, you know, they have a strong chance at the two seed or the one seed rather than whether they're going to be top three. You know, 
I, I think that's a guaranteed lock, just like you do. I, I just don't see how any of these teams like Toronto or Brooklyn or Indiana are going to make that jump into the top three past them. You know, I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and the top the top end talent in the East is a lot better than it was in 16-17, I think. I mean, you still have to throw the Cavs in there, but I, I still think the Bucks and Sixers are both better than like someone like the Raptors were that season, or even during the Cavs during the regular season, obviously, they, they weren't that good that year. Uh, I do look at this, and, and the reason I think it's realistic for the, them to get that high in wins is just because, yes, the top-end talent is better, but I feel like that middle class and the lower-end talent in the East is not. It's kind of the same as what we looked at back in those 16, 17 years. It's not that much more talented. It shouldn't inhibit them from getting that high in wins, as maybe some people would think, I guess. Uh, I mean, th- th- there are some teams interesting out there, like Blake Griffin in, in Detroit and all that stuff, but people forget that Paul George was in Indiana those years, and they weren't that good. And Jimmy Butler was in uh, Chicago, and they weren't that good. So it's not all about the one star and everything like that. And so I just look at this and I kind of say, you know, the Celtics are going to surprise people. They're going to be better than people think, and people are just writing them off way too quickly. Yeah, I think that there's sort of this cloud hanging over the team in terms of how people view them just from last year's roller coaster ride. And I think people are taking last year into account way too much when they think about this uh, team for next year. And uh, the whole vibe around the team this season or this offseason has been about a fresh start. They've been emphasizing, you know, uh, the character of the guys they drafted. They've been emphasizing the fact that Gordon Hayward and Semi and all these guys are there every day over the off season in the in Boston all season. You know, I think I've seen like ten different quotes about players being uh, in Boston all off season, working on their games and how they've seen them at the training facility every day and all this stuff. And they've really kind of been over the top emphasizing this fresh start, this idea that this next year's team is kind of a completely new, fresh, different team than last year. Yeah, and, and I don't really discredit people for not believing they're going to be good because of that reason and also because I think it's just going to for a lot of people it's going to take seeing it on the court but I think very quickly people are going to see this team play on the court and they're going to say oh this works this actually works together surprisingly it's it's not like it was last season and and I think people are going to be surprised I think Celtics fans are going to be surprised and I think people should be excited I feel like there's a level of trepidation going to this season be excited, okay? This is a wonderful time of year. Basketball is starting back up. Everybody is excited about their teams. Celtics fans should also be excited about theirs. There's no tangible reason not to be for anybody that's actually still on the team. So get excited, people, all right? Celtics are going to be good this year. I promise you, all right? Max, thank you for joining us to talk about the Celtics this season and preview it. It was a lot of fun. I came out thinking way more optimistically than I thought I was going into it. But when we really looked into the numbers... You and me, we both said, wow, actually, this team's going to be really good. I mean, it, it, it took kind of looking into the numbers, big shocker, the, where the actual answers are, that we looked at it and said, oh, wait a second, they're not going to face as many problems as we think they are. Things should actually work out perfectly. Yeah, I, I, if, if nothing else, today has made me way more confident about this team going into next season than I was even just a couple hours ago. I mean, just really sitting down and, and kind of, thinking about things, thinking about the, the shot distribution, the minutes distribution, and all of that stuff that you know caused problems last year. I, I think that a lot of the worries have gone out the door, and a lot of the problems have gone out the door, and I cannot wait for this season to get started, especially after talking today. People get so caught up in the drama, but when you actually look at the numbers, things actually don't look so bad. <laughs> all right, well, like I said, Max, thank you for joining us. Guys, you can follow Max on Twitter 
at LISMX14. That's L-I-S-S-M-X-14. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at KJWBS. Follow the pod on Twitter at Wicked Smart Pod. Check out everything over at Guy Boston Sports. And thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Actually, in just a couple of days, once the Red Sox season ends, me and Sean Palmer should be jumping on here to do a Red Sox season wrap-up. So if this was too optimistic for you, don't worry. Some pessimism is coming very soon with that podcast. But thank you guys for listening. We'll see you in just a couple of days.